You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, I know we've got a lot of people on the road today and a lot of people tuning in online that will listen to this sermon online. People that are are not here today, make sure they hear this, especially the men, because I, we were talking about this in worship practice today. This is not normally how we do things. Jay was wanting to sing a song about a good father, and he, he was saying, I normally try to not pick songs that are so on the nose of the Sunday that we're in, and I really try not to have a sermon based around the topic of the day, which is Father's Day, but I've not been able to avoid it. The Lord has been Show me a lot of things, and believe it or not, he used that, that comedy skit, that, that little segment, to begin to teach me a lot about our society and about what we see in the world today, um, because what we see, and it's, this video is funny, but it points out a very sobering reality is that men are very, very lowly celebrated and, and recognized and admired and honored in our society right now. And so my answer or my question to, to the Lord is, okay, well, why? Why is that the case? Uh, why, why is it so lowly celebrated? There is no, de- de- no denying that the value of men has become less and less in our society, but there is a reason why. And, you know, I started sharing, with this, sharing this sermon with somebody yesterday. They just asked, you know, what I was going to preach on. And I said, well, I'm going to preach on why our men are uh, not valued in our society. And he's like, heck yeah, get it. I was like, well, let hold, pump the brakes there a little bit because you're not going to totally like everything I have to say because it has everything to do with you right there. And we had that conversation. It was a great conversation, but it definitely wasn't, it's not, we're not here this morning to bash on society and all the things they've done wrong. Because the thing we need to recognize is what we see in society is a reflection of something they've learned from someone. And who have they learned it from? I'll ask these questions Later, but who, who taught society division? Who taught society how to be so good at holding on to bitterness? We did. The church. We've done these things. So if we see an issue with how men are valued in our society, we've got to look at ourselves first. We've got to look at the church first. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to start with just looking at this question of why is this so lowly celebrated. We'll be in Genesis 2, 15, and that's where we'll start. Uh, This morning, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you are surely, you may surely eat of every tree of, of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of The ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So we know how this goes and um, what this leads into, but what I want us to recognize first is that Adam was created and immediately gets to work. He was immediately, he was created and immediately given tasks in which he was to steward and lead these tasks out. 
And it's, it's all of creation. Like, that's not like a small thing. He was given a ginormous task in naming every creature and, and stewarding this garden that he's been placed in to keep it and work it. That's what the Lord says right here, that he was, he was anointed to do these things. He was, he was built for this task of working and leading and keeping charge of these things. And Adam was made to lead with God. I love this. Uh, we, we tend to forget this when we're thinking about the Garden of Eden, but God was, it wasn't like God was this, this far off invisible thing that we think of him as nowadays. God walked with him in the garden. When Adam and Eve ate of the, the tree and they were hiding, God was looking for them, but he wasn't shouting out from the heavens. He was walking in the garden looking for them. He lived amongst Adam. So he was, he was created to lead with God, an extension of the heart of God. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And then Genesis 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Where was his leadership here? Now who, when we read this and we just read this in the previous chapter, who did God give the charge to of not eating from that tree? He gave it to Adam. He gave it to Adam. And it's not like Eve had to go off to find him. He was there present. But what we see, and we've seen this since this moment, and we can see it now, since the fall of man, we have not been operating in the role God has created us for. Men have been playing in the background since this right here. Not, not stepping forward to lead, not stepping out in boldness, but sitting in the background, quiet and timid. And we've done that for a long time. And it made me think, just this side thing, creation must be angry with the sons of God. Because they know who named them. Creation knows who was there, who was created first as an extension, the first reflection of God, everything and everyone is made for Him. We talked about that last week. Everything and everyone, and we are in the all things. We are included in that. We were the first of the all things. And He used us as an extension of His heart to name the rest of these things and to lead these things. And our, our job, the task given to us, was to keep, to keep the charge to steward these things well that He gave us. And so creation must be angry because man was at the beginning of all of this. And we see it in, in Luke 19. I'll try to get over there real quick. Luke 19, verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. We were the first reflection of God to the world, but for so long we have been silent. And I also want us to recognize, because I was thinking about this, and I was thinking of great men, great religious men, like the evangelist Billy Graham. 
Man, we praise Him and we think of all the great and wonderful things He's done. He's done great and wonderful things in the name of the Lord. But was Billy, was Billy Graham... Now, I'm going to be careful how I word this. I'm not even sure how it's going to come out. But was Billy Graham something so uniquely significant, appointed to only be someone like this? Or was he just simply one man operating as man was meant to operate? And so the rarity and the magnitude of how magnificent the story is, is even bigger because there is no one to follow. There is no one around him operating in the same And so I look at these men like Graham Cook that talks about how he's just having this great and deep and wonderful fellowship with God that he pours God a cup of coffee every morning. And he sits at the table and he's just waiting for the one day that it lifts up and something starts drinking it. But he's sitting there and he has conversation with God and everybody's like, wow, that's so cool. That's so unique to you. It's like, no, it's not meant to be. That's meant to be man's relationship with God, every one of us. That we would have deep and meaningful and intimate relationships fellowship with God. And so we see these great and amazing men that are simply operating as man was called to operate in boldness and leadership. And because they're doing these things, they stand out in our society. And I know, and here I I get the honor of, of, of speaking to honorable men. I know that those, there, there are men in here that are honorable Uh, There are men that are listening online. We have honorable men that gather here and that worship here. And so the the train of thought immediately goes to, well, this is not on me. Because I'm living the way God wanted me to live. So my next question would be, again, this is where it gets uncomfortable. But what have you, if you are so honorable and so wise, what have you done with all of these things? What have you done with this honor? What have you done with this wisdom? What have you done with the freedom that came from the victory over generational strongholds in your life? There are so many in here that have stories of victory over, over generational strongholds in their families. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I know there are so many in here that knew and saw the men in their life struggle with something and they, they have broken the chain and their children will not walk under it. They will not endure the same things. There are so many in here that are breaking those generational strongholds and that are finding freedom. But what have we done now with that freedom? What have we done now with that freedom? Judges 2. Uh, we read this all the time. You should uh, almost know this by heart. Judges 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. They had died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. There was an entire generation of people that did not know everything that He had literally just done for their fathers. The people that raised them, they didn't know. Why did they not know? And one of these things that we see, who we, again, these questions, who taught the world division? Who taught the world bitterness? Who showed the world a wrong view of God. One of the great things, one of the great lessons I learned about what it is to be a man from the men in my life is that you own where you messed up. That's on you. And if you are a man of God, again, I'm not trying to point fingers because I'm included in this. If we are men of God, sons of God, co-heirs with Christ, we have to recognize it doesn't have to necessarily be you, but we are a part of a body that has taught the world these things. So whose responsibility is it then to change that? It's us. You may have not been the one that 
planted the seed that taught the behavior, but it is your responsibility to change it now. Is it not? Because then the question comes after, if it's not you, then who is it to be? Your sons? Their sons? When will someone say, no, enough is enough? That is not the reflection of God that I want the world to see. I will begin to show it now. But we can't just show it on Sundays. We can't just show it on Wednesdays. It looks like being in the community. We had this awesome opportunity on Wednesday night. We, we're just doing a random project, but we're, with, we're surrounded by men that don't go to church and that don't know the Lord. Right, Shorty? Surrounded by them. And we get to fellowship with these men that have this understanding of what, of what church is. Uh, this person I was telling you about that I got to tell this part of the sermon to yesterday, very, very hurt by the church. Could less, than, uh, less than five times have they been to church in their life, and every single time has been met with judgment and hate and resentment and bitterness at church from men. And those things are only allowed to be in those houses because of the men that are gathered there. I don't care what you say. You can't argue with me on that. And that's the reflection of the church that they have. That's what I'm trying to get into. They, they see God in us. And who we have showed them that we are to be is who they believe God is to be to them. Who we are to them is who they will see God as. And we've been silent. We've been playing this background role, we as men in the church, uh, for a long time, when we've been meant to be leading the charge uh, of, these, of these moves of God and what the Lord is doing. And one of the reasons why that we do this, that I, the Lord just very quickly brought me to, is that men, we do not feel worthy of the call we have been called to. I see that in so much. Why would a man be silent because he doesn't feel worthy of the, great, the greatness and the magnitude of everything the Lord has called him to be? No, that's not me. Right? That's why this, this concept of, oh, I can't go to church, the Lord would strike me down right there. I'm not even worthy to walk in the building. But that's a learned behavior. And so this is really for, this part, this is for the women. This is for you to make sure and to, to recognize that men need to hear the message that they are worthy of the role that they've been made for. And that, that falls on you. And that falls on us as men. But I mean, I'm telling you, anybody could tell me anything, but if my wife tells me that, it's quickened to me a lot quicker than anybody else. I remember in college when we were, Sarah and I were just dating, and I was just learning about my identity, and I, I, I'm meeting with Kendall on a regular basis, and he's, we're going through all this stuff, and he's incredibly wise, and he, you know, he'd been shaped and, and taught by Randy, and so his wisdom was profound, but I still just was having a hard time believing everything that the Lord was showing him about me. And then I asked my wife, who was just a girlfriend at the time, I asked her, okay, what does this identity mean to you? How do you see it in me? And she, I've got this card. It's still in my office. And we've always just given each other cards. We're those weird people that are looking for the most odd and just sometimes disturbing cards in the Hallmark section, and that's what we decide to write intimate and loving notes in that. So it's just good. It's how we do it. Um, but she wrote from cover to cover, there was no space left on who the Lord has showed her that I am to be. I'm telling you from right there, I read it, I can tell you, I could take you to the spot where I read it, it changed my life. 
because of this woman that meant everything to me that said I was worthy of who the Lord had called me to be. And everything from that point on changed. Everything from that one card and that one affirmation of who I was because of a woman that meant everything to me that said that I was worthy of all that He had called me into. And now, men, I need you to hear this. In Isaiah 43, this is one of the most profound pieces of Scripture. It's changed my life over and over and over again. Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are worthy of the call because you are His. Period. If you are a man, you are His. And there is not a man on this earth that was not made for Him. There is not a man on this earth that the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus was not poured out for. And He wants each and every one of them because each and every one of them was made for Him. You are worthy. So back to the major point, when does society's expectations of God the Father change? Because we have to recognize, again, going to the beginning, God created man, and then He created all of creation. The, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the, the fish in the sea. He created all of these things after creating man, and then gave the charge of man to steward them. So, in that so clearly the Lord showing me that we are the first reflection of the heart of God to the rest of the world. And that's this beautiful pairing in marriage too is this complete formed image of who God is and His heart for the world around Him and the world around us. But when does society's expectations of God the Father change? Because we have, I, I go back to, to looking at the shack and you know that in the shack, God appears to him first as a mother. Because he doesn't need a father, he needs a mother. And I think about our society, and I think about the women in our society, and how, how many bold and profound women of faith there are. The world has a great view of who God is as a mother. Right? Now that's kind of weird, we like to just think of God as a man, but God created all of us, he's not, he's not male or female, he, he is who we need him to be. Because in that same movie, in that same book, in this point, in this character story, God is no longer a mother to him. He's a father to him. Because you need a father's leadership. You need a father's care in this point. So God is who we need him to be. And we have a great example in our society of who God is as a mother. Who God is in this, this tender, loving support that comes in, in in our most trying times. But what society desperately needs is to see who God is to them as a father. We don't see that. Society doesn't really know what it is to see a good father anymore. We have so many dads that just shake the responsibility and so many that don't want anything to do with it. And Again, I'm not talking to anyone in here. I'm, talk, I'm talking about the world that we see ourselves in. But why do men run out on families? Why do men do these things? What is the cause? And I see so much of it in the conversation. This is not just what I think. This is the conversations I've had with men that have run out on their families. They're not worthy of them. Not worthy of the leadership. And it gets so overwhelming, like, ah, no, I can't do it, I'm out. Or even, even in conversations with my own father, recognizing the generational sin that he was going to have to conquer with his dad that left him when he was a baby. I got, he just couldn't handle it. Can't do it. It's too strong. I'm out. 
We have this pattern of behavior in the men that we see in our society today. So when do the expectations for men or for God, the Father, change in our society? It changes when the expectations for men of God change. When the men of God begin to be the men of God that God has called them to be, and I'm not talking about attending church and doing all the the different activities. I'm talking about walking in boldness, walking in kindness, seeing an opportunity and immediately plugging yourself in, speaking words of truth and affirmation to the world around you, carrying the Spirit and establishing the kingdom of heaven in the places that you go. When society sees that, their expectation for who God the Father is will change. It will change. There's a reason that people are not interested in God anymore. Because the people of God is not something that they want to be a part of, unfortunately. And I'm only speaking from my own experience. I left the church. I attended church my entire life. The second I went to college, I was done with it. Because all I saw was things that did not add up. I saw judgment. I saw hatred. I saw bitterness. I saw this refusal to do anything different. This is how we've done it for so long. Why would we change? Because it's wrong and it's dumb and it's bad. And that's all I saw. That was church. I didn't want any part of it. And I, I, I didn't attend church until uh, my senior year in college when I met Kendall. So all those years, and when I say senior year, I took a victory lap. So my fifth year of school, uh, because there are consequences to walking away from the church and leaving every, all of your morals and everything behind is you don't really do that well in school, um, which I didn't. But I was just hanging out longer so I could meet Sarah, so it's okay. Um, our society will see who God is and see who God is to them when they see Him in us. And when we as men no longer play in this background role, I'm telling you since the beginning of time, since man was created, you were never meant to exist in the background. That doesn't mean that you're with a megaphone shouting on a street corner. That's not what not being in the background looks like. It is walking in boldness of who God has called you to be each and every day, each and every moment, in whatever fashion that would look like. If that looks like silently... I. One of our city council members, I, I drove past him the other day. He's just out there. There's the parking lot at the golf course and the pool needed to be restriped. And instead of seeing about going through the process of city council and the months and weeks and everything to get the money approved and all that stuff to get somebody to come in, spray it, spend 15 minutes and go home, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go buy paint and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it myself. Wasn't broadcasting it, wasn't wasn't talking to anybody about it, just saw a need and went and did it. Just saw the little bit extra that he needed to do, and so he went and he did it. He was not in the background. He was leading boldly. There was no one around him. He wasn't talking to anybody about it. He was just doing what needed to be done. That was leadership. That was boldness. And the heart of God towards our community was seen in that man, whether he knows it or not. The heart of the, God, the, heart of the Father was seen in our community, by that man, because of that one, one moment, that one act of kindness. And that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like shouting on a street corner, because they've also seen a lot of that. 
That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't reflect the heart of God. Jesus was never shouting and, 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 and hit all of his appointments, all of his miracles. Well, you had to schedule it with the synagogues and then we would do all that stuff. No, Jesus met people where they were at. On his way, he was a good and he was a perfect father. We, we saw this video last week of, of Jesus' perfect theology and recognizing that that woman at the well, Jesus represented the father so perfectly. And if Jesus is perfect theology, Jesus was a man. So we as men need to recognize how he led. And we need to lead in that way. Because he gave us the perfect example of how we as men are to lead. And he was, he was a perfect example in that, in that moment, in that instance, in that circumstance. He was a perfect example of God the Father to that woman who needed a father. So when does society's view of God change? It changes when their view and expectation of us does. How does that happen? It happens by men no longer playing in the background, but walking boldly in the leadership that God has called them to and anointed them for. You have been anointed to lead all of creation. So I'd ask that you would do it. And the reason I feel comfortable bringing this here is because if it doesn't start here, can you tell me confidently where, it would, where else it would start? If it doesn't start in sundown, where, where else is it going to start? Because we're all here. So if it's not going to start here, we're going to push it off and hope somebody else catches on to it. Can't do that. Can't afford that. Society can't afford that. There are people that can't afford that. Again, like just worshiping in here, seeing my boys uh, stand in here, uh, sit and, and watch and observe. What... what aspect of the Father are they seeing when they see me in these places? What aspect of the Father are they seeing when they're in trouble at home, when, when there's work to do around the house or somebody needs help? What are they seeing in me? Because that will change the, the expectation of who society sees them as men if they see me and I'm operating the way God had called me to operate because then they will only know how to operate as God has called them to operate. And that's how it changes. It's such an important thing. You know, we're doing these, uh, you know, these community things. We're, we're doing a, the community swim nights, and it's for no other reason than to be the community's church again, which God has called us to be, to be the community's church again. There are a lot of kids that don't have father figures in their life that will come to these kinds of things. Who will they see? Will they see men of wisdom and honor and boldness, and integrity that reflect accurately who the Father is, but more importantly, who the Father is and what He feels about that child. Will they see that in us? Because if not, who then? Because we have the opportunity, so why wouldn't we? That would be like Jay calling me, saying, hey man, I got a flat tire on the way home from Lubbock, or to Lubbock. Like, oh man, that stinks. Click. Man, I hope somebody helps Jay. <laughs> Why would I not just go help, right? Would, would there be any one of us in here that if I called you and was like, hey, my, I've got a flat, that you'd be like, oh, I'll be there in just a second. That's just that's who we are. It's the same thing with the spirituality of, and, and, the, and the reflection of who God is to these people around us. Why would we allow them to live in turmoil and struggle and strife any longer than they have to? Because we're here. 
And we can provide the help. Can't we? Men, can't you? Can't you be who God is to them? For them? Why can't you? You're perfectly equipped and you're perfectly, perfectly worthy to do this. Society is looking for an example of who God is as a father. So who of us men will change their expectations? Who of us in this place will begin to shape the expectations of who society sees God the Father as? Because the second they see you differently, they'll see Him differently. And anything we desire to see corporately must first happen individually. So you need to make sure that you see God the Father correctly towards you. If you didn't have a great dad growing up, I'm sorry. That's not who God is. I was fortunate enough to have great men. But still, there are aspects of them that were not of God. There are aspects of me that are not of God sometimes with my boys. But I know who the Father is towards me, and I have to understand that first, because if I don't understand that, I will never accurately portray who the Father is to them. Right? And corporately, it's more than one. So those two boys are the corporate body that will first see who the Father is to me and what I believed about Him to be true. So, allow that to be the first thing that you do, that you and the Father have a correct understanding of who each other is and how He feels towards you, how He loves you, how He admires you, how He, he is proud of you, how He talks about how amazing, amazing you are, amazingly talented you are. There was a moment... Um, with Liam, we have the youth rodeo going on right now, and um, Liam's got this horse, and uh, he's five. Liam's five. So expectations of Liam getting on a horse, I'm just pumped these up there. The other night, we're going out there to just practice, get him some more time on the horse, and there's a bunch of cows out at the arena. He says, Dad, can I push them up? Can I put them in their pen? It's like, yeah, we'll go do that. That'll be fun. It's a lot of running for dad. It was what I was thinking. I'm going to be running around towing this horse trying to get cows to do what I want them to do, which never works out. He's like, no, I'm going to do it by myself. It's like, all right. So that little five-year-old gets on that horse, and he starts pushing these ten cows into their pen. Some of them would run off. He'd go catch them. He'd push them up. I'm just sitting there looking at him like, how does he know how to do this? He's just, he's watched me, but you want to talk about being proud? I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk to him. I was so, I was in tears because my son had paid attention to something I had done. And he learned and then he did it, but he did it in confidence. So all of a sudden I'm seeing this boy become this man because he's operating in boldness and in confidence that I can do this. And I'm blown away. And you best believe I've told that story to everyone I can tell. Because I am so abundantly proud of my son, not because of the task, but because what was, had to be evident for the task to be completed. And I saw the father in him. And I began to see how this five-year-old could grow up into this 35-year-old that has sons, and they see from the first day they open their eyes, they see the heart of the Father in heaven towards them. That's pretty profound when you see the heart of the Father in your five-year-old. 
But that's how the Lord feels about each man in here. You do something, He is so beyond ecstatic and proud of what you've just done, even if it's just taking a breath in and a breath out. Even if it's just on your worst day, you continue to move forward. He's sitting there saying, do you see what my son just did? The odds are against him, and guess who's still taking steps forward? Guess who's still walking? Guess who's still reflecting my image in each and everything that he does? That's my boy. He is so proud of you. Man, the, the Father in heaven is so proud of you. And He cannot wait for all the lives that you will still change. There are still so many lives that He has for you to change. And He can't wait and He brags about you often. Understand that, hear that. That that would be what fuels us into the next thing we do. Because I want to make my Father proud. One of the most profound things to me was reading a book by Francis Chan. And this, he was teaching about this well done my good and faithful servant. And just change the words to well done my good and faithful son. And talking about this relationship. And it blew my mind. I so badly want to hear. Because how, how many of us wanted to hear that our dad was proud of us? I, I still to this day love, I'm 30 years old, I love when my father tells me he's proud of me. It means the world to me. I so want to hear on those, that day that I enter the gates of heaven and I get to be with my Father who is in heaven. I so badly want to hear, well done, my good and faithful son. That's what I want to hear. But I cannot be still and I cannot play the background for that to be true. He's proud of me because I live and I breathe, but there is so much that He has for me to be a part of and to do to change this world because my life is but a mist and that mist is significant. And that mist is here for a reason. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.